Hello, and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And it certainly feels like a couple centuries since we were last in front of our microphones, doesn't it, Anna? It sure does. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened, mostly to you. It's uh, <laughs> mostly to me. To to you and for <laughs> you and around you. It's been been pretty same town over here but uh uh-huh. do you got some updates you want to share with the listeners uh yeah i have a few updates um first of all i welcomed a new bundle of joy <laughs> the uh uni- universe's cat distribution program at work yeah so a cat a, cat, a little kitten picked me recently um a little community little, kitten little street kitty yeah wished to be inside um <laughs> and blame her. yeah it's chilly she yeah she is she is a baby she mm-hmm. i think she's about 7 months old um hmm. we've not been to the, the real vet yet we've gotten her shots but gosh mommy's busy (laughs) and um so she's she's inside and she's growing and she's getting fluffier and her name is layla uh because um well because she only at first she only came around after dark and i'm a little bit crazy about her so i named her layla um so yeah so she's really great so i got i uh, brought layla into my home and she immediately murdered some mice Oh yeah, she's so good. She's so <laughs> <laughs> a new theater has opened in uh, the the war against mice, and and so a few days after Layla, like Layla came in, and you know I was worried about twenty seven hours a day that she was just going to drop dead. Um, I left. Yep. <laughs> And I went to the American Anthropological Association conference where uh, we had a booth for the AAA podcast library. Um, and I, uh, I presented a paper. Yeah. And it went well. It went, it went well. Um, it went exceptionally well when one considers that up until 23 hours before my session, I thought the session was on Saturday, but it was on Thursday. Uh, so (laughs) thank you for your time. (laughs) Okay, well, that brings us to today's topic. And it's a sponsored one. That's right. That's (gasps) still a thing that exists. (laughs) We're getting to them, I I swear. Mm. If you want to support the show with a one-time donation of 25 bucks or more, if you're feeling fancy, you can hit us on PayPal at paypal.me slash the dirt podcast. Just make sure to include your topic of choice and any important details (laughs) in the message field so we know what we're doing, Uh, which brings us to what we're doing now. An episode sponsored by listener Laura about Scarabray and the archaeology of the Orkney Islands. Gosh, Gosh, Laura, I hope you still listen. Me too. <laughs> so in in memory of Laura's listenership. In memoriam. Let us begin. So let us get to the maps because I don't know where that is. Um, so if one were to look at the United Kingdom um, on a map, mm. uh, Scotland is the northernmost part of the island of Great Britain. But that is not north enough. Off the north coast of Scotland is an archipelago. I got real nervous there. No, you did did the emphasis exactly right. (laughs) 
Um, so the archipelago of Orkney, um, also known as the Orkney Isles. Is that how you say it? Isles, yeah. And that's where we'll be spending our time today. And I'm going to leave Anna there. <laughs> so there are around 70 islands in the archipelago, uh, 20 of which, 20-ish of which, yeah. 20-ish of which are inhabited. Yeah. And you might, you might think, and you, I would not blame you for thinking, listener, that this would be an inhospitable place. But Oh, yeah. I saw that map about, like, the further north you go, the less likely people are going to, like, feed you if you go to their house kind of thing. It's pretty mm, inhospitable. Not quite what I meant, but you, sure. Also, that map was... Bunk. Baloney. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the climate up there is relatively mild, like, compared with the rest of Scotland. So, like, February probably still isn't f- super fun. Is it rainy? Is it cold? Does yes. it snow? Yes. I mean, it does all of those things, just like, not... Tell me about the climate. Like, I don't uh, know. Like, is it... Relatively, is tem- it- relatively temperate, but, you know, it, it's right on the coast, so it can get so stormy is it, and... Is it included in that, like, is is it within the, the sort of realm of effect of that, uh, the, the Atlantic current that keeps... Is it is it too far north of that? Like, are we like Iceland territory? Are no, we... no, no, no. It's just off the coast. Is. Have yeah. you seen a Mercator projection? I don't know where anything is. It's all it's all an orange peel. Um, yeah. So okay, it's you know it's not like the frigid north. There are seasons. It's just uh, the damp north. Okay. Yeah, it's also got extremely fertile land, and agriculture mm. has been and still is the biggest part of the local economy, and it's been that way for thousands of years. Although uh, wind turbines and like electricity production mm-hmm. is now kind of creeping up okay. in terms of local economy, but that's that comes after what we're talking about today because they they do like the offshore wind farm stuff. I think so. I don't know. I don't know where they keep I their windmills. There isn't that much shore if they're that small. Mm. Oh well. Um, okay, so uh, folks that live on Orkney today refer to themselves as Orcadians, and they speak a unique dialect of the Scots language. It's mostly a mix of an older form of the Scots dialect plus some heavy influences from Norn, an earlier form of Norwegian, uh, because you know, like Vikings. Yeah, and Vikings so Amber, would you like to hear what this dialect sounds like? Which one? Norn? No. Orcadian. Orcadian? Yes, yeah. I would. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to, listener, I'm going to drop a bit of audio here Sorry. from... Orcadian is both the demonym and the language name? The Orcadian dialect. I ah, suppose okay. what you would call what they're speaking, Scots. But okay. Orcadian Scots? I don't know. Any listeners from Orkney, please let us know. I'm going to drop a bit of audio in here future me mm-hmm. editing mm-hmm. do this um from the scots language center very cute little youtube video uh, about the orcadian dialect narrated in that dialect so the video itself will be linked in the show notes if you want to see the whole thing i'm, I'm just gonna put a little snippet sometimes called the orkney islands will for farming and fishing archaeology and tourism an example of a word you would hear an Orkney dialect speaker saying is PD. It's an adjective. It's the most frequently used Orkney word for little or small. Don't give me too much soup, I only want a PD grain. Means don't give me too much soup, I only want a small amount. 
another word is fernent, which is a preposition or adjective. Fernent is used to describe the position of somebody or something when they are opposite or in front of something. For example, You can park fernent the kirk, there's spaces there. Which means you can park opposite the church, there are spaces there. Most excitingly for us on this show, Orkney is home to many Neolithic archaeological sites. So many, in fact, that the region is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, like mm. the heart of Neolithic Orkney. So they would have spoken well, something we else. We don't know what they we would don't have know. spoken, but we it wouldn't have included Norn. Uh, probably not, no. And uh, and also, there has been a very cool and very recent discovery in Orkney, published in October of this year. So we will definitely be talking about that. It's very, very obliging of the archaeological record to be like, ah, there's going to be a show about this. But first, let's set the scene for where we are in time and what else is going on in the wider world so we have some context. Oh, I love context. Oh, love it. Context. Uh, so we're traveling back around 5,000 years ago to the Neolithic Remember, the Neolithic wasn't a single chunk of time, uh, but rather a retroactively applied designation to a period in a particular place where evidence for certain types of technologies and lifeways shows up. Mm -hmm. So this is usually mega simplified into agriculture and sedentary living, uh, but it does, it looks completely different depending on where you are in the world and where you are in history. Yeah. And speaking of sedentary living, my dog just released the worst smell. You let her in. I did. You let that dog in. Oh, who let the dog in? Who? You. Who? You. You. In Orkney and in the British Isles more broadly, there was a big population shift around 5,000 years ago. Is that what you were saying there? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> in general, people in general. showed yeah, people. up. Yeah. Uh, no, so a wave yeah. of... A wave of agriculturally inclined people um, who were closely related to contemporary populations in Iberia. So that, that includes uh, Spain, Portugal, mm -hmm. and Dora. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and this site, this site is in uh, eastern Spain, Elstrox. The site that we're talking about is in eastern Spain? Mm-hmm. Not on the Orkney Isles? No, this is, this is a, a contemporary site where there is clear evidence of a group of Mesolithic hunter-gatherers meeting a group of okay. Neolithic farmers and it going poorly. The dramatic composition of the events in Els Trox uh, may never be fully clarified in detail. Also, you, I thought that that was a Scots name, <laughs> and I was just like, mm. uh, What is clear is that two rivaling groups fatally collided. These may either have been a local group still living traditionally as foragers who would decide to oppose the migrants, representing the invaders, decisively and with full force. Or it may have been another, either foreign or locally competing Neolithic group, disputing the victims from Elstrox, their summer pastures. From the perspective of a criminal profiler, a coincidental encounter which escalated which escalated seems scarcely imaginable. The procedure appears systematically planned and executed, the motive for the act serious. Yeah. Was a criminal profiler involved in this? I'm not sure. I think they did consult. Did I mean, they mind hunt? Did they do a <laughs> Mesolithic mind hunting? I can check. They might have. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got letters the last time I talked about that, so I won't anymore. I don't think. Yeah. Anyway. 
Um, we, love, sort of we love getting emails. We really do. You said contemporary. It's not... Not contemporary to the sites on the Orkney Isles that we're going to be talking about, but okay. it is. But it's co- it's contemporary in that relative sense of the like move like the, the shift from Mesolithic phase, yeah. to Neolithic. Mm-hmm. See, I see what you're doing. Okay, great. Thank so you. Just, Thank you for just like crystallizing it because I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Just well, I'm just pulling <laughs> all the little bits on the pin board together. So we are talking about the transition. Mm-hmm. Transitions. I was just there at the AAA. That was the theme. Um, Indeed. So the transition yes. from Mesolithic Neolithic. Yeah, and so um, once those Neolithic farmer types, nomadic, nomadic ish, um, uh, pastoralists, yeah, to, to like sedentary, also pastoralists, <laughs> like they they also yeah raised sedentary cattle pastoralists, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what's happening. It happened. It's dated to fifty three hundred years ago in Spain. out of sight in Spain. Mm-hmm. Which is which? Which is share. illustrative of the process that was happening, kind of as these people continued to move north and west. Well, there wasn't that much more west to go if they were already in Spain, but north as these people moved and so, north. And so the idea is that they intentionally moved north for pasture land. Yeah, for pasture land. That's the idea, this, or just to like a, to have more space. I don't know. Which is a, like, social construct. So just, like, is that what is being pushed here? That they that they kept, they kept you know, finding the frontier? Because that's what we do. I Us mean, our I don't know that baby the art- violence. <laughs> ethnic nepho babies. Well, I'm I, just saying, I'm, I, I, I think that's what the authors are suggesting. Is that is that the pool that they're rising out of and... Shaking their hair in slow motion. And what is this? What's happening? I don't know. I'm falling okay. apart here. But I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm just trying to think about where you're coming from with this, and sort of like, what are we thinking about? Like, what are mm-hmm. we? What is? What are our like sort of a priori uh, sort of assumptions that we're going into this with? So the people, the people in Elstrox, uh, mm-hmm. they similar genetic profile to the people that eventually mm-hmm. uh, sort of supplant mm-hmm. the population. Yeah. They, the they previous share, existing population in the Orkney Isles. Yeah. They, they share okay. enough genetic material to suggest that both groups originated from the same population that was originally kind of towards the Balkans. So by the time this happened in the British Isles, it was a tumultuous period. Maybe. I think we did a great job illustrating that through a rhetorical device of me being confused. I mean, it was tumultuous. It was tumultuous. And it really, I think it really kind of captured the flavor of what it would have been like during the Mesolithic to Neolithic transition. <laughs> Just a bunch of people <laughs> going, what? <laughs> when? What? <laughs> um, so eventually, though. The farmers had taken things over, whether that means conflict or gradual population mixing. However that happened, we know it did because of DNA. And people are starting to build big things out of stone, residential and otherwise. So we already covered megaliths as a general kind of feature of the Neolithic in a past episode. We did. We did. Don't kick those rocks. Uh, So let's focus on the living spaces. And to do that... And to do that, in order to spin you a yarn, 
Oh, they were doing that too? And listeners. We're going to do just a little bit of jumping around in time. So, come along with me as we start in Orkney in the winter of 1850 CE. Victorian-ish. Uh, uh-uh. There was a terrible... St- what? Well, it's Victorian era-ish. Oh, we got to be right about this one. <laughs> if people come to us for our knowledge... I don't, I don't know when British Queen Victoria power. died. And- oh, well, you, so the Victorian era spans, this comes from English heritage. Mm. Uh, the Victorian era spans the 63 years of Queen Victoria's reign you over see why Great I Britain could and Ireland. You kind of be wiggly with it? From 1837 until her death in 1901. No, you yeah. were just straight up right. I am owning it. Great. Well, in the winter of 1850 in Orkney, there was a terrible storm. With high winds and higher tides, like really bad storm. At least 200 people died in this storm. What? It was a really, I mean, they're, they are right in the ocean. Um, the occasional devastating storm is not unusual for the area, but this storm did something different. A combination of extra strong winds and high tides stripped the sand and grass off of a large mound or knoll on the southern shore of the island. <laughs> Uh, and this was that a, like a like a, a canal dialect? No, no, like a oh, grassy knoll. I, I, th- I, I thought maybe you were no. But speaking were, of dialect, like, the mound the mound had been called Skerebra, like in the local. It just uh-huh. like that was just like that's what the hill was called Skerebra. Uh-huh. Um, you may notice a similarity to another place name that I've already used in this episode. So, a combination of those winds and tides strips the sand and grass off of the mound and like a drop cloth being whipped dramatically off of a work of art the top of the knoll was peeled back to reveal the outline of several stone buildings so the whole top just came off it just whoop like a toupee oh oh my goodness so the one thing that i know about scotland is all of those like really trashy like romance novels that like that were in our dorm that were all about like highland types and like so even the dunes get their bodices ripped <laughs> in this place. Uh, yes. What was with that? That was somebody's thing, wasn't it? It's, that was it still that is. Was it still thing. is. Uh so everyone there in mm-hmm, 1850 mm-hmm. was very surprised and excited. Um, including the local laird, William Watt, who was a self-taught geologist, which you could be then because geology was like 50 years old. Um, yeah. I mean, he was the self-taught geologist is, is just like a, yeah, there's a rock. (laughs) He poked around and did some preliminary excavations. Um, those were abandoned in 1868 after they'd fully uncovered four of the houses. And so the site was left alone until 1925 when another big storm damaged some of the previously excavated buildings because they left them exposed. Because it was excavated by a self-taught geologist. Yeah. And I think that he did a good job. He just didn't necessarily know like, oh, this is going to be a problem if we leave it <laughs> open. So he didn't know what he was doing. Right. Okay. Well, it's okay to say he didn't know what he was doing if he, he was a self-taught he geologist didn't exactly doing archaeology. Know what he was doing. Yeah. So there were attempts to build a seawall, like a jetty or a wave break, to to protect so many the words structures. You just threw at me. Put wall between uh, do, ocean and site. Do, protect. do all those things mean the same thing? Uh, yeah, more or less. Didn't I think a jetty that. sticks out. I thought a jetty a was spit. like a pier. I thought it was an Australian pier. 
<laughs> I'm from the mountains. <laughs> I could be totally wrong. Um, but anyway. Okay. Well, go on. Tell me more. But as they were, they were like, okay, so we will quarry some stone and build a wall. As they were doing that, in the process of building that wall, they uncovered more ancient remains. So they called in an expert, the University of Edinburgh's Professor V. Gordon Child, who started work at Scarabray in mid-1927. So that's your boy. You got to call the goat. Mm-hmm. They got too many sheep on this aisle. They need the goat. <laughs> I think it was mostly cattle. Could have been sheep, too. I think it was sheep. I thought they had she- I thought they do sheep. They do have sheep. Don't they do sheep now? This was in the 1850s. Oh, I mean, I, I was talking about Scarabray. We're going to get to that. So Child originally thought the structures were built by the Picts, which uh, those were, that was Oof, a Picts. Tough to say. Picts. Uh, a, a Britannic tribe that lived in the area in the early Middle Ages. So Pict is an exonym from Picti, a name given to the local folks by the Romans as they tried to expand the empire north. Um, Child wrote in a 1931 site report that the settlement dated from around 500 BCE. However... Radiocarbon results from samples collected in 1972, well after Child's death, indicate that the occupation of Scarabray actually began about 3180 BCE, with occupation continuing for about 600 years. So this is a Neolithic settlement. He thought it was yeah. contemporary with the Roman Empire. It was not. Yeah, with the Picts. Do we do we know what the Picts called themselves? Someone might. I don't. Like someone who I actually mean, researches the 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 Brit- well, like, Britannic do, were tribes. Were they like were they pr- like? prehistoric were they ahistoric like yeah i don't think they had a written language and the romans were just like they had well (laughs) see child picti yeah but the so the reason they're called picti is because they uh painted their themselves with uh dyes like plant-based dyes and uh they had a very sort of um very cool like flowy artistic carving tradition it's cool okay they have some cool like standing stones oh, with i think i've got oh yeah this came out and this come out with the megalithic stuff yeah it did and and yeah. the, like the the tattoo that i have of the little dog on my arm is sort of that style sort of Pips. anyway mm-hmm. because it comes from a, a version of the book of kells that was from one of the orkney isles well well gosh that i just remembered that just now um well, well i be around 2500 bce so around the end of the occupation of Scarabray, there was a significant climate shift. Conditions became much colder and wetter, which is at least one of the reasons why the settlement was abandoned. Um, a popular theory is that there was a big storm, like the later one in 1850, and that made Scarabray the Pompeii of Scotland. But like, come on, we've <gasps> talked about this. Stop that. Stop it. Um, one interesting thing that I came across um, and oh, did that's a good look at site map. Yeah, isn't it a cool site map? We'll have that uh, in the show notes. They don't make them like that anymore. Probably because sure we have don't. computers now. But Yeah, they got it. <laughs> Kids. GISs. Um, one of the things that came up is that there appears to have been kind of a mass slaughter of, of uh, herd animals towards the end of the occupation. So it may have been just like it became untenable to live there anymore for whatever reason. And they were just like... I guess we'll have a big old party and and then these, skadoodle. What, like these cattle can't swim. Yeah, we got we got to go. <laughs> to make jerky. So jerky. the pigs weren't involved at all. No, no, they in no way. So they, they the were only there, way that they're involved is because child incorrectly but, thought but like, that they lived there, but they didn't. Completely different population. Totally different. Way earlier, thousands so, of years. Sort of it. Thirty one hundred 
like around 3,200 to around 2,500. Yeah. Thriving. Thriving. Then they left. Then later it was, re- this, the place was re-inhabited. Like people, like as demonstrated by the folks who went, oh, when when the top got ripped off of oh, Scarabray. Yeah. But yeah, people came back eventually. As I just learned from English Heritage, um, this was a time of industrialization and economic growth. So yes, I could see the Victorian era. During the Victorian era, era which was from 1837 to 1901. She lived um, for so long. Well, that was just when she reigned. Yeah. She was arguably I living I, then. I mean, was she or was she just existing? Uh, I'm going to read some summarized descriptions of the site. Uh, Anna put this together uh, from uh, Vera Gordon Child's reports. Goat. Uh, Problematic goat, but goat nonetheless. Uh, And a couple of other research articles that will be linked in the show notes. Um, Quote-ish. The site consisted of 10 clustered houses made of flagstones. Anna has also seen dry stones, meaning that the flat stones were stacked without mortar. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, so okay. piled into the shape of houses, but not yeah. mortared into place. Yep. Yeah, that is... And here's um, why. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's like the like Cyclopean masonry kind of stuff, where it's like the big yeah, stones that don't have... Yeah, but it's not as have... fitted. Oh, okay. So it's just... Oh, It's just okay. piled, but you'll see, as you keep reading, okay. you will see why okay. it stayed in place. These were tucked behind earthen dams that provided support for the walls. More on that in a second. The houses were connected by covered passageways. Very handy in winter. That's what you want. And each house included stone hearths, beds, and cupboards. So are these closets because it's in Scotland? Or was it like above the sink? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, we'll We'll get to the features. Is it where my cat goes or where the mouse goes? Uh, they're both. They're both, both. both cupboards in my house. The houses were built in a manner known as earth sheltering. Built sunk in the ground, but rather than just earth, they were sunk into their own middens. Yeah. So the trash piles basically provided a way to shore up the walls of the houses. And another reason for abandonment of Scarabray that's proposed just, is that they too much here. trash. Uh, yeah. So um, a midden, <laughs> Danish word, uh, seems stinky. Mm-hmm. And a number of articles suggest that the accumulation of midden waste was one of the reasons that the site was eventually <laughs> abandoned. Just, uh, uh but or like while it may have been smelly, the middens provided the houses with stability and insulation against Orkney's harsh winter climate. I guess it also depends on what is in that midden. Yeah. Because uh, also, is it like, did they leave because they're like, we just can't seem to shake this cholera? Uh, I, or was actually, it? Actually, we're going to get to an interesting thing about sanitation, but um, I don't know what was in the <laughs> middens. Afraid, like you're often. The things, <laughs> the things that were in the middens, I from the articles seem to be like uh food food waste um bits mm-hmm. of shellfish bits of mm-hmm. like tool making ceramics mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like you know trash it wasn't like chick-fil-a cups no i like, just i don't think it <laughs> would have been i <laughs> well i don't know about diapers but i think i think you're right in that it maybe it wasn't like organic yeah how very, stinky could it have been well, there's an experimental archaeology project that uh, could be someone's master's. Yeah, somebody's going to get an NSF for that, and I'm going to be fine with that. Yeah, I'm going to love it. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. better than, than me. 
My nose um, is too delicate. <laughs> sure he is. Hmm. Uh, and yet, you were going to do that thing on I'm so glad I did not uh, actually submit that grant. Because you would have gotten it, and I would have eaten that meat, and then you would have given my eulogy. Yeah, it would have been really poetic, too. Yeah, I for- died as she lived. <laughs> Full of gross meat. <laughs> uh, I was going to do a study on fermentation of, of meat as a uh, nutritional strategy in the Paleolithic. I didn't. Too stinky. Okay, so these houses. On average, each house measures 40 square meters. So that's 430 square feet. Snug. Bigger than my former apartment. <laughs> and most have a single large square room containing a, containing a stone hearth. Like my old apartment. <laughs> uh, it was gas. Given the number of homes and the number of people that might fit comfortably in the buildings, it seems likely that no more than 50 people lived in Scarborough at any given time. Yeah. There's a... How many houses were there? Ten, well, there were 10 structures. One of them is thought to be like a uh, uh, like a tool shed, <laughs> like the place where yeah. they made tools. and So like a, a utility okay. building. Okay. A garage. The know. building, as yeah. we call it. Yeah. We call it the building. The building. It's out in the building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so okay. it was a small, small community. Okay. Um, so okay. the dwellings contain several stone-built pieces of furniture, including cupboards, dressers, seats, and storage boxes. This is a quote from one of the, re- the reports on the site. Quote, fish bones and shells are common in the midden, indicating that dwellers ate seafood. Limpet shells are standard and may have been fish bait that was kept in stone boxes in the homes. The boxes were formed from thin slabs with joints carefully sealed with clay to render them waterproof. You just store your limpets and then take them out of your little tackle box when you need them. Um, seven of the houses... Oh no, sorry, I skipped. I, I scrolled. Eh. Each dwelling was entered through a low doorway with a stone slab door that could be shut, quote, by a bar that slid in bar holes cut in the stone door jams. That's from Child's 1952 report. So they could Mm -hmm. shut and lock their doors, it seems, which I don't know about lock, but at least like secure the door against a a bad storm. Uh, So my new aesthetic is Neolithic cozy. I mean, new. Excellent point. Seven of the houses have similar furniture with the beds and dressers in the same places in each house. It was Mesolithic cozy. Yeah, but it's been I've, it's been supplanted. Um, there was some tumult. So this, these were sort of um, cookie cutter stone houses in that they had they oh, all had like the a, same a housing development. Yeah, exactly. Um, the dresser stands against the wall opposite the door and is the first mm-hmm. thing seen by anyone entering the dwelling. Great. Each each of these houses had a larger bed on the right side of the doorway and a smaller one on the left. And there was a local custom, like recorded by the local lairds and stuff, that lasted until around the turn of the 20th century where husbands and wives had separate beds. The husband's bed was larger and the wife's was the smaller one. And um, an article I read said, the discovery of beads and paint pots in some of the smaller beds may support this interpretation. Because you know how ladies love this. You know this how was ladies her she love. <laughs> but I also like, I like the idea of a bed for like snuggles, but then like, okay, see you later. It's sleep time now. I like that to the point of there only being one bed with me in it and no one else. 
Okay. Well, you can no use, other bed, no other person. You can uh, use I like, the other little bed for something else. It's for I your, follow it's for your pets. The, I do. That's where. Yeah, that's where my pet. That's the pet bed. Okay. Um, which is also my bed, but also. I don't know, beads and paint pots and some of the smaller beds might also support the interpretation of children yeah. <laughs> existing. Yeah. I Yes. What a <laughs> ladies be crafting. Doing some ethnoarchaeology, I see. I suppose. Turn of the twentieth century. It was still during the Victorian era. It's for, not for clear what the folks at Scarabray used to heat their homes and cook their food. There were hearths, remember? child initially suggested peat which is commonly used as fuel elsewhere in the area and in denmark as i learned at the new score museum <laughs> very peaty um, place denmark but later studies showed that there wasn't actually a buildup of peat on the island until later in time when the buildings had already been abandoned other options include dried seaweed animal dung or maybe driftwood or maybe all of the above yeah. Animal bones and seed remains suggest that the folks at Scarabray were pastoralists who raised sheep and cattle and who also farmed barley. They made distinct they made a distinctive type of ceramic called grooved ware, and the inhabitants of the site are sometimes called the grooved ware people. Because they because that, that that makes it sound they weren't werewolves. They weren't <laughs> werewolves. They were <laughs> grooved ware people. No. <laughs> No, they were the people who produced this grooved ware, which shows up at other sites in Orkney. It's not just Scarabray. So, like, it's sort of like the saying, the, what is it, the gray ware? Oh, the incised gray ware? Inside, yeah. It's like the way that a group of people can sometimes be identified by a typology yeah. of ceramic. Yeah. The uh, beaker culture? Yeah, that was the one. The bell beaker. Bell beaker? Bell, bell beaker. Bell beaker. Yeah. Yeah, bigger bell, bigger bell, bell beaker, bell beaker, because that's the thing. Me, 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 me. Um, uh, <laughs> um, they also there are also bone flint tools and ornamental items sorry. like necklaces of that's, animal bones and you, teeth. Sorry, there are also bone and flint tools. <laughs> there are also there are also bone and flint tools and ornamental items like necklaces of animal bones and teeth among the artifacts. Yeah, teeth on the necklace are just like necklaces made of animal bones and animal teeth. Ah, oh, not people teeth. And this isn't like a no, like, like a like a one of those like no. sexy goth Etsy stores where it's like that's not memento sexy. mori ring where it's like a they put a ruby in a cavity and they put it on a ring. No, it's not that. Use the same internet, Anna. <sighs> and yet, and yet, contrasts. Each dwelling was entered through a low doorway with oh. a stone slab door that could be shut by, quote, I, by a bar that slid in bar holes. I forgot I used. So each dwelling. No, no, wait, let me. I wanted to make a point. Each dwelling was entered through a low doorway with a stone slab door, as Anna mentioned above. Um, the fact that the door was low does not mean that they were shorter. No. By that much. Nope. I am speaking bend specifically down. to the father that I overheard at the Royal Ontario Museum <laughs> telling his children this. That doesn't mean that. It just means doors take time and effort. Doors take time and effort. And also you're, you have like a, you sometimes have a limitation of how high you can go before it fall down. So you have like the ceiling. And if you have, you've got weight limits You've got like width, like length limits for your I-beams and your like 
load-bearing beams. It doesn't mean they were that much shorter. It means that they ducked. Yep. Or they bopped their heads sometimes. I hope you have a great day, sir. Your children are very cute. People weren't necessarily short in the past. No. Several dwellings offered a small connected front room, offering access to a partially covered stone drain leading away from the village. It is suggested that these chambers served as... Indoor bathrooms. Yeah. So, I mean, just let's just pause for a moment and remember that this is 5,000 years ago-ish. And that means it's it's time to talk toilets. Actually, not not much about toilets. There's not a whole, <laughs> whole lot to talk about. Uh, there were grates built into the floors of some of the houses. And the thought is that you could have your toilet time and then pour water over the grate, washing the waste out of the home. So it's not like there were flush toilets, but it's sort of, I mean, people assisted flushing. I have, I have used toilets. So that is the way you have to flush it. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it also makes total sense. You'd want to be inside and out of the cold while you attend yeah. to your business. Um, oh but when actually, you have your whole butt out. Yeah, your whole cold butt. Actually, what I want to touch on here is a microcosm of the Western-centric view of technology, culture, and other aspects of, yikes, capital C, civilization that we've talked about a lot on the show. Yes. There is, apparently, as I learned today, an equivalent bias in the British Isles, North versus South, which actually... I that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me considering <laughs> how, like, Scotland and the Highlands and etc. are often depicted. And, like, like how depicted. the whole, like, empire... I mean, London's in the South. Yeah. Well, and, like, you know, England... Yeah, yes. ...isn't Scotland... No, from Scotland, not Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, exactly. Like, just... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Uh, oh boy. From a 2012 article in The Guardian that quotes Nick Card, currently a director and project leader at UHI, University of the Highlands and Islands. Yes. Every time. It's good every time. That's so good. Ah, so Nick Card says, quote... Give me an honorary PhD. (laughs) I'm going to do something. This is my goal. <laughs> this, is, this is my, it's like, all goal, been for like, this brass ring. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, we need to turn the map of Britain upside down when we consider the Neolithic and shrug off our South centric attitudes. London may be the cultural hub of Britain today, but 5,000 years ago, Orkney was the center for innovation for the British Isles. Ideas spread from this place. The first grooved pottery, which is so distinctive of the era, was made here, for example, and the first henges, stone rings with ditches around them, were erected on Orkney. Then the ideas spread to the rest of Neolithic Britain. This was the font for new thinking at the time. End quote. So with that in mind, I want to uh, move away from Scarabray to touch on two other sites before we wrap up the episode. So first, a temple complex on a spit of land called the Ness of Brodgar. Um, and then after that, we will visit a chambered tomb that was discovered and excavated only in the past couple years. So, Amber, take us to the Ness. All right. The Ness of Brodgar project is currently under the direction of your new friend and mine, and future person who's going to give me an honorary degree from the University of Islands and Islands, Nick Card. Or at and least excavation. a sweatshirt. It's like, I just want a hoodie. Let me dream. Right. Uh, and excavations have been going on since 2004. 
The project is actually scheduled to conclude in 2024, and I believe the site is going to be covered back up, or at least partially backfilled in order to protect it, so that another storm doesn't come and just be like, no, this is a different different site, remember? I know, but another storm would have to come. It wouldn't be the same storm. No, because that another one was case in the Victorian in which era. which a storm could come. Yeah. <laughs> This isn't like the Jaws universe where the shark, like ha- it's the same shark who's just like coming after people <laughs> generationally. This isn't like a storm that seeks out the perfect like, storm. Poorly backfilled archaeological sites. <laughs> no, but that would be a great no weird one. horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Excerpts from a description of the site from a 2009 UK Herald article. Quote. The Stone Age equivalent of a cathedral has been unearthed in Orkney, the largest structure of its kind found in Britain. The archaeologist working on the site said yesterday that this latest find was unprecedented (laughs) and that the vast structure is as awe-inspiring today as it would have been in the past. At 65 feet long and similarly wide, it would have dominated the landscape. Nick Card is quoted as saying, quote, in effect, it is a Neolithic cathedral for the whole of the north of Scotland, end quote. The shape and size of the building are clearly visible today, with walls still standing to a height of more than three feet. <laughs> Far taller when built. <laughs> you know, maybe that guy at the Royal Ontario Museum is reading Everyone it. was they so are 16 short. Feet. <laughs> they are 16 feet thick. The- <laughs> They are 16 feet thick and surround a cross-shaped inner sanctum where the excavation team have found examples of art and furniture created from stone. The building was surrounded by a paved outer passage. Archaeologists say this could have formed a labyrinth that would have led people through darkness to the chamber at the heart of the building. The team has also discovered that a standing stone split by a hole shaped like an hourglass was incorporated into the structure, something never before seen in buildings from the period. And yeah. So if you would like to see... So at so Ness of Broadgar is like the the description of the piece of land on which this all sits. It's like a spit of land. And so this is a complex of more than 30 structures. If you would like to see some of them, uh, really good site photos, but also um, digital reconstructions. Amber, go ahead and click click on the link there. Click, the click. nessabroadgar.co.uk. Nessabroadgar.co.uk. Yeah. It's a really well kept not well kept that's not the word i wanted it's a really uh well done site and it's i think it's very wow you could spend a lot of time poking around there but it's uh Look at all these thick low walls they are both of those things yeah but it uh it does show sort of plans of uh you can go to about the nest and go to oh, 3d great. models as of uh as of a few days ago we can download the 2004 excavation report yes i did see that and i thought God. about it but i didn't bless archaeological publishing um but there are some really cool 3d models and you can see kind of where the structures are in relative to one another and get a sense of just the idea i i, I wanted to use this to illustrate the the need to as as we were saying kind of get out of the idea that these were sort of northern barbar- barbarians who yeah like didn't know what they were doing in terms of culture or but clearly this is a huge uh 
architectural undertaking, and this was a very important site for whoever built these things. And when we've talked about Mayor Gordon Child in the past, it's we've spent a lot of time talking about his... We're talking um, about what happened in history. Yeah, and so his interpretation of things through a Marxist lens and sort of this idea of cooperative building projects, question mark. It doesn't necessarily have to mean a hierarchical society. And I don't know how, like in general, he understood the Mesolithic to Neolithic transition as revolution, but, you know, it's sort of hard to... But um, also here, but. a uh, big a big thing here is that he didn't think it was that he thought it no was he thought picked. it was Pictish yeah exactly yeah so like this uh, what a bummer that he was wrong mm-hmm. I don't know everybody's wrong they're all wrong we're all wrong <laughs> can't know anything I'm postmodern now okay uh, <laughs> well it's just like I okay. um, I don't know there it is interesting. It's interesting from sort of like a counterfactual kind of angle of like, if, what if a child interpreted it correctly, how would that have informed and been informed by his ideological leanings? Yeah. Um, Versus how was his incorrect interpretations informed by, I guess, yeah, I don't know something for me to think about as i try to go to sleep tonight yeah something to chew on uh, along with your melatonin supplement oh man yeah so um i want to wrap up with the recent and ongoing discovery and excavation of a neolithic chambered tomb and for this i'm pulling mostly directly from a report by vicky cummings who is one of the pis on the project one of the project Mm -hmm. leaders um We will have articles about this site linked in the show notes, but content warning, if you visit them, there are depictions, uh, photographs of human remains. So here's the setup. And this is another one where we sort of jump back to the the 19th century and then have a, you know, have, have some, something come up that is then revisited decades later. Um, So there was a newspaper account in the Orkney Herald in 1896 Queen Victoria was still queen, which mm-hmm. reported that Orkney antiques specialist James Walls Cursiter had encountered a series of archaeological discoveries made by the son of the landowner at home on the east side of Orkney's mainland. The finds included a mace head made from gneiss, G-N-E-I-S-S, which is a metamorphic oh, rock nice. with a distinct yeah. banding. It's very nice. Uh, a plain stone ball and eight skeletons. They were found within the ruins of a stone mound that had previously supplied stone to build a nearby farmhouse. The surviving stonework was interpreted by Cursiter as the remains of a chambered burial mound. Cummings goes on to say, This discovery was rapidly forgotten. By coincidence, a recently discovered archaeological notebook belonging to Cursiter revealed further details of the finds. This included a sketch of the monument and, most importantly, an approximate location of the discovery. So... Someone looking in the archives found this guy's notebook and went, oh, interesting. Mm. Mm. So in 2022, a geophysical survey was carried out in the same location as described by Cursiter. And among other features, these surveys located a substantial archaeological anomaly on top of a prominent mound, almost exactly in the location described as the monument, the chambered tomb. And so in 2023... Vicki Cummings and her team decided to open up a trench to see if anything survived. 
(laughs) She goes on to say, when we arrived at the site, it did not look promising. All that remained on the ground was a very slight grassy dome, which had clearly been plowed over the years because it was on farmland. As we dug farther down, we started to encounter the lower walls of a stone structure, exactly as described by Cursiter. Much of the bone within the stone structure was highly fragmentary, which seemed to reinforce the idea that the monument had been mostly destroyed in the 19th century. However, in one of the side cells off the main passage, which was largely filled with small stone rubble that accumulated from the dismantling of an intact side cell, which would once have had a high roof, we found a perfectly preserved... We found a perfectly preserved and undisturbed Neolithic tomb deposit. This consisted of a minimum of 14 burials of seven adults and seven children. The skeletons were placed in a variety of different positions. Two were crouched, knees to chest, and laid on their side, while another was tightly flexed with the knees pulled tight to the chest and placed face down. Two were placed in the grave embracing one another with the remains of two young children placed on their heads. This level of preservation is remarkable, and it is quite unusual to find tomb deposits intact and so well preserved. And then um, the article ends with, In revealing and excavating these remains, we have found a lost passage tomb, but also revealed that these finds will not be preserved forever. The soil added into the monument during the Victorian destruction of the site has been eroding the bones ever since, so it is now a race against time to retrieve what survives. So... The the upshot here is that there's not uh, a lot of information about the individuals because the individuals are still being excavated. and But once they are and, and analyzed by a lab, there's going to be a whole lot more really interesting information of, you know, a lot of data available about who these people were, what, what, what they, you know, how they died, what they ate, how they lived. Um, and so we sort of come back around to the idea that there is still lots to learn on, on Orkney. And there sure is. And that's what I have for you today. Oh, it was great. Thank you. Hmm. I learned so much. Me too. In a real short time. So thank you, Laura, very much for this is, as I mentioned in a previous episode, this is sort of on my bucket list of places to visit. Um, I did, I, spent my junior semester abroad in Edinburgh at the University of Edinburgh and in the archaeology department would walk by the Fiji child like office plaque every and every time I did I was just like oh hey but now that I know more about him I I wish I had sort of spent more time thinking about thinking about his contributions um Thank you for listening, everybody. We will be back in your ears soon with more episodes. Yeah. And I hope you're all hanging in there. And uh, we love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.